Judges chapter number two, verse number seven. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered into their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor the works which he had done in Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. 2 Kings chapter number 2, verses 13 through 15. And he, speaking of Elisha, and he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters... They parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters. And when he also had smitten the waters, he did what Elijah did. Elisha did exactly what he saw Elijah do. Elijah smote the waters. And so the Bible said that Elisha, when he had also smitten the waters. The younger generation doing what they learned from watching the older generation. On this Memorial Day weekend, I want to preach with the help of God that memorials matter. Memorials matter. Lord, I pray, God, that you would anoint me to preach. Have your way, Lord Jesus, I pray. Let the Holy Ghost sit down from heaven, fill this house, and destroy yokes in people's lives and on their spirit. I pray, O oh God, let the power of your spirit meet us in this place and let the anointing of the Holy Ghost destroy every yoke. Have your way and confirm your word with signs following. By the authority of your word, God, release the supernatural anointing of the Holy Ghost in this place tonight, God. Do a work of your spirit, and we ask you to do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated today. As you know, tomorrow is the holiday that we celebrate as Memorial Day. Many of you are off work. Some have taken advantage of a long weekend to get away. Memorial Day was originally called Decoration Day. It was a day of remembrance where people would decorate the graves of their loved ones who have gone on, primarily dedicated to those who have died in our nation's service. There are many stories as to the actual beginnings of Memorial Day. In fact, over two dozen cities and towns lay claim to being the birthplace of Memorial Day. Waterloo, New York was officially declared the birthplace of Memorial Day by 
President Lyndon Johnson in May of 1966. In my opinion, it's not really important who was the first, but what is important is that it was established and we remember those who gave their lives for us. Memorial Day is about coming together to honor those who have given their all, those who have gone before us. The idea of memorials is not new at all. Indeed, it is a strong theme from Scripture that demands that there be memorials to remind future generations of what God has done in the past. In your King James Version Bible, if that's what you use, 32 times the Bible speaks of certain things being done as a memorial for future generations that one generation does something specifically to remind a future generation, that they erected a monument, that they did something specifically for the purpose that their young would someday look back and ask what that memorial means. The Bible is very clear that its message needs to be passed on from one generation to the next generation. This is not a series of sprints by individuals as much as it is a relay race from generation to generation. For the church to succeed, there needs to be a critical transfer from one age group to the next age group. The strength of our faith is found in it being transferred from one generation to the next. Israel faced a crisis when one generation, within just one generation of inheriting the promised land. I find that quite amazing that after 400 years in Egypt and 40 years in a wilderness, that it took less than one generation to come to a crisis point in the promised land. It should stand as a stark reminder to all of us that we are one generation away from losing everything that we have. And we must be vigilant and diligent and dedicated to the idea that what we have is not only worth us having, but it's worth passing on to our future generations. Amen. Whether it be our natural freedom or our spiritual freedom, there are some things that when it comes down to it, they're just worth fighting for. Israel faced this crisis within one generation. There was a spiritual strength that was in the Joshua generation. This, they had experienced, Joshua's generation was unique because they had experienced the hardship of Egypt and they had seen the deliverance of the Lord. They had been sustained by his provision in the wilderness. Joshua's generation had seen the Red Sea roll back. They had experienced manna in the morning. And they had walked in the shade of a pillar of cloud by day and felt the warmth of a pillar of fire by night. They had new shoes every day and new garments every morning. They had tasted water that flowed from a rock and they fed on quail that was provided by the Lord. They saw the flooded Jordan River as it parted and they walked through on dry ground. They felt the earth shake as the walls of Jericho fell. They laid their heads down at night in houses they didn't build. They drank from wells they didn't dig. They ate from fields and vineyards that they didn't plant. The Joshua generation had known what it was like to be slaves, wanderers, and finally conquerors. The whole spectrum of life could possibly, that life could possibly bring. And all of that, because of the goodness of God, they made it through. That generation aged in the wilderness. By the time we get to the book of Judges, that generation was dying. The book of Judges chapter number 2 says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. The influence of Joshua 
and the elders on the younger generations was powerful and grounding. They had seen, the Bible said, all the great works that the Lord had done for Israel. They watched as God worked miracle after miracle after miracle. And that generation, that particular generation had seen the great works of God. The Bible said in verse number 8 of Judges chapter number 2, in Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. There are few men in history that can lay claim to being the, he the hero that Joshua was. Amen. A man who got to touch Moses and got to lead the people. What a great, mighty man of God Joshua was. A brilliant military leader, a brilliant society leader, a brilliant political leader, a man who took Israel from a wandering wilderness into a land that flowed with milk and honey. A man that's looked at the Jordan River and said, let's go. It's time to get our promise. A man that guided them around the great walled city of Jericho and refused to stop until the walls came down. Oh, what a mighty man. What a hero Joshua was. But sadly, there comes a day when our heroes die. They can't live forever. And then the Bible said that Joshua died being a hundred and 10 years old. The Bible said in verse number 9, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnatheres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. I read this verse, and I know I've told it to you before, but I was struck by how specific the burial place of Joshua was. I found it interesting that they didn't just say Joshua died and was buried, but they were very specific about where he was buried. He was buried not in the center of his inheritance, but he was buried in the border of his inheritance. Not at the center, but on the edge of his inheritance. It seems as if it might be enough to simply say that Joshua was buried, but it wasn't enough. He was buried at the border of his inheritance, but that wasn't enough at Timnath. But then that still wasn't enough. It was on Mount Ephraim. And then they went even further on the north side of the hill of Gash, a very specific location for the burial of Joshua, the hero. God wanted it to be specifically recorded where Joshua was buried. I find that as an interesting contrast to Moses because when Moses died, the Bible said no one knows to this day where his grave is. When Moses died, God buried him and didn't share it with anybody. But when Joshua died, God said, we're gonna bury, well, I wanna make sure that everybody knows where the bones of Joshua are laying. It's in, it's on the border of his inheritance at Timnath, and now on the on the Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. I want everybody to know exactly where Joshua, the elder, is buried. I find it interesting to me that he's buried there on the border of his inheritance. Very often in cultures, you will find that someone is buried at the center of their inheritance. That way, if they start to sell off plots of land, they don't have to worry about selling the place where their ancestors were buried. So they generally would bury their ancestors near the center of their inheritance where their home was. The inheritance, in the center of the inheritance is where they found the most safety, in the middle of their property. But Joshua said, don't bury me in the middle of my property. Don't bury me in the center of my inheritance. You take me all the way over to the border, and I want to make sure that they know where my line is. I want to make sure that they know where my property is. I don't want them to sell not even the edge, not even the border of what I bought with my own sacrifice. I don't want to give up not even an inch, so take me all the way to the border. You see, if he had been buried in the center of his inheritance, they might have been tempted to sell that plot over on the edge. Nobody goes over there anyway. Nobody looks at it anyway. But Joshua said, you take me all the way to the edge because I'm not willing to give not one little bit of what I fought for away. 
I'm not willing to give up not even one little bit of my land. You take me all the way to the edge and you bury me at Timnath on the border of the hill of Gash. You take me there because I'm not willing to let anybody have not one little bit. I wish somebody in the kingdom of God would get so tired of the devil trying to take bits and pieces of your prayer life and your worship and your faithfulness and your holiness commitment. I'm not willing to give him not even a little bit. I'm going to even fight for my borders. Amen. I know a lot of modern Pentecostals that will fight for miracles and they'll fight for healing and they'll fight for worship and they'll fight for shouting and they'll fight for tongue talking, but they won't fight for their borders and their limitations. I'm looking at a church that needs to fight for every holiness standard that we've ever had, that we need to fight for the borders that God has given us. I'm not willing to give up not one little bit to this world. Amen. Anybody can fight for a miracle, but can you fight for holiness? Can you fight for righteousness? Can you fight for clean living in a dirty society? Can you fight for living for God when everybody else wants to backslide? I'm telling you, I'm willing to buy, I'm willing to die at my borders. He said, bury me on the border near Timnath. The border city on the edge of Israel. It was, Timnath was on the very border between the Philistine territory and between God's territory. It was the edge. When you cross the border at Timnath, you have left the land of God's people. And you have entered into the border, into the land of the bitter enemies of God, the Philistines. And and Joshua said, look, I want to make sure... I want to make sure that at that border where the Philistines are, that that's where you bury me and you make sure everybody knows where I'm buried at. Don't just leave it up to chance. Don't just say, well, he was buried over there somewhere. You make sure they know that I'm buried at the border at Timnath, at Mount Ephraim, on the Hill of Gash. Not just the Hill of Gash, but the north side of the Hill of Gash. You make sure that they know specifically exactly where my body is because someday there's going to be a pretty little playboy with long hair named Samson and he's going to be walking down to Timnath to find some girl named Delilah and he's going to lay his head in her lap and he's going to give up his vows and he's going to turn back and he's going to waste away what the strength that I gave him. But I want him to know before he steps over that border that he's stepping over my dead body to get there. May I tell you that anybody can go to the Philistines and anybody can go to Delilah. Anybody can lay their head in the lap of the world, but you better make sure that you understand that to get there, you got to step over the dead bodies of the elders that paid the price for this apostolic message. When you step out into the world and you give away holiness and you give away worship and you give away faithfulness, you're stepping over the body of those elders laying out in that cemetery out there that died for living this message and believed every word of it. May I preach to our young people tonight. May I tell you that everything we preach to you out of the word of God is something worth holding on to and fighting for. And may I say it plainly, that you'll have to walk over the dead bodies of our elders if you want to take this church to the world. We're planning on building on the rock and believing what we believe and standing for what we are. I know it's becoming less and less popular, but I'm telling you that this young generation needs to be committed to holiness in this sinful world. Amen. You want to know why I am so radical about preaching what we believe and why I say it over and over? Because I'm establishing the borders of our inheritance. I want to make sure that every generation knows where the line is. Amen. Joshua made his decision to put his grave at the border so that you have to go past him to get to the Philistine land. The Bible said that when Joshua died and the generation of his died, that something began to change. Judges 2, 10, and 11. And also all that generation were gathered into their fathers And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. There arose another generation that knew not the Lord, nor the works he had done. 
And when you don't know God, you're one step away from idolatry. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. A national tragedy within one generation of going to the promised land. The older generation died and following them was a younger generation. And this generation knew not the Lord. May I tell our young people tonight and our young families that you have got an awesome responsibility laid upon your shoulders to learn to know God. It's not enough just to claim to be a Christian. It's not enough just to say, well, I belong to that church. You must get a relationship with God for yourself. I'm glad grandma had one. And I'm glad grandpa had one. And I'm glad mom and dad had one. But I'm going to tell you, you got to get your own relationship with God. You got to carve it out in prayer. You've got to carve it out in worship. You got to carve it out in fellowship with the presence of God. It's not a, you got to get in the Bible, read your Bible every day, get the word in your heart. That's what's going to keep you. It's up to you to get to know God. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Your mama can't know God for you. Your daddy can't know God for you. Your grandma and grandpa can't know God for you. Your pastor can't know God for you. You got to get a relationship with God for yourself. You got to learn how to touch heaven on your own. I wish somebody would say praise the Lord. God, I want to know you. Oh, Paul said that I may know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. I got to know him. Oh, why don't you throw your hands up and say, God, I want to know you. God, I want it to be more than just what I, I want to be more than just a church kid. I want to be more than just somebody that was raised on a pew. But God, I want to know you. There arose a generation that knew not the Lord. And then the next phrase says, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They didn't know God. That was their responsibility. No one could worship for them. No one could live holy for them. No one could be faithful for them. They had to get their own relationship. They had to know God for themselves. But the Bible said not only did they not know the Lord, but they didn't know the works he had, past tense, done for Israel. It was not those young folks' fault that they didn't hear the stories about the plagues and the Red Sea rolling back. It wasn't their fault that nobody told them about manna from heaven and quail and water from a rock and a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. It wasn't their fault that nobody told them the great works that God had done with Israel. May I preach to our moms and dads and our grandparents. We've seen God do awesome things, but it's a shame if we die with those testimonies inside of us and we have not sat down with our children and grandchildren and say, hey, this is what God did for me. This is how God brought me out. This is what God did for my family. This is how God ministered to me. When I was down and when I was out, God picked me up and he brought me in. When I was sick, they laid hands on me and prayed. And God, we got to tell the testimonies to our children and our young people. Oh, I wish somebody praised God. I wish somebody would give God praise right now for the works he's done in Israel. There's some people here, you were brought off, you were bought out of bar stools. You were brought in out of bar rooms and crack houses. You were brought in out of alcoholism and all kinds of stuff. You need to testify to these young generations of what God can do. If they don't know God's a deliverer, it's because we didn't tell them. I've preached it before. I preached about Brother Hornbeck, the man, a man that in the church that I grew up in that fell over at a camp meeting. For several minutes, no pulse could be found. Nurses and doctors that were part of the camp meeting worked on him until the ambulance got there. The ambulance came with all the equipment and all the stuff and they couldn't find a pulse. And as the, the, the understanding that this elderly brother had died during the camp meeting began to spread, 
through the crowd. The crowd began to pray. And after about 15 minutes of him lying without a pulse on that concrete floor in an old, dirty, dusty camp meeting, that man sat up, opened his eyes, and lived another 10 years. That's the kind of works that the God that I serve can do. But they won't know it if we don't tell them. I said, they won't know it if we won't tell them. Amen. Brother Travis, wave your hand. I want everybody to look at Brother Travis. Brother Travis waving his hand right there. It was about 12 years ago or so. Am I right? Close enough. About 12 years ago. We went to the, uh, the, the, the Methodist Hospital in Germantown. He was going to have his gallbladder taken out. And they went, they opened him up and they found so much cancer. They sewed him up and said, ain't worth messing with. They came and told him that, they, that there was nothing they could do for him. But we prayed and believed God. And he's still here right now. That's the works that the Lord has done. Those are the works that the Lord has done. If we don't tell it, nobody will know it. I'm preaching to somebody sitting at home looking at an impossible situation. We've got a God that works miracles. That's the works he's done in Israel. Glory to God. Glory to God. We got to testify. We got to tell about what God has done. No one told him about the Passover and the plagues and the Red Sea and the man and water from a rock and walls of Jericho falling. We need to make sure that the next generation knows what God has done for us. They need to know that this church was started in a little one-room schoolhouse just down the road when a girl started a prayer meeting in her home and people got so stirred up that they began to get the Holy Ghost. So they moved into a one-room schoolhouse and called a, a, a preacher that was over around New Albany that didn't even know how to read, but he knew how to pray and he knew how to preach and he knew how to touch God. And in that little one-room schoolhouse, a revival shook this community. And that little revival in a one-room schoolhouse 75, 76 years ago became this church, but they're not going to know it if we don't tell them. So we got to tell the works that the Lord has done in Israel. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. He's a miracle worker. I said he's a miracle worker. Amen. I'm telling you, we serve a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Amen. Sister, Sister Candace. Sister Leather, Brother Day Day, I, I have a picture in my in my phone. I, I wish I I wish I'd have thought ahead to find it, but it was of it was a brother Ezra Butler, which is your grandfather. And uh, you, you, you all knew him, but these young folks, most of them don't remember Brother Ezra Butler at all. Brother Ezra Butler was a walking, talking, breathing miracle. Amen. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you all the miracles that God did through that sweet elderly gentleman. Amen. Sometimes I'll come in on Sunday morning and I'll still remind myself to come unlock the door because he always came in the side door. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll start this way and have to remind myself that he's been gone for years. But I'm going to tell you, one day the phone call came, and he fell like 110 feet off of a water tower. For a long time, he was in Guinness Book of World Records for having fallen the furthest and survived. The doctor said every bone in his body was broken. He walked a little crooked. The side of his face had been smashed in. But, he, but I, I believe he was out of church at the time that the accident happened. But after that, that man came in church, and you talk about faithful. He was faithful. He was a walking miracle. But you, you, never, some, you young folks never met him. But I'm telling you, he believed God and he trusted God. And his first reaction when something went wrong was to call somebody to pray and touch heaven for him. Amen. I, I, remember, I remember one time on a Wednesday night. You know, good stuff's not supposed to happen on Wednesday night. That's what folks think. And he, he had fallen and he had a broken arm and he had gone to the doctor and they decided that they couldn't do surgery. They needed to give a couple of days for the swelling to go down and then they could do surgery and operate and fix that bone in his, in his arm. And he sat right where Sergio was sitting. I, I call him Sergio because that's his name. Everybody else calls him Pico. But I call him Sergio. He, Pico Sergio. Picchio. <laughs> that one doesn't work. 
I got the mic, I'll call you what I want. He sat right there. And he, and he motioned on a Wednesday night after Bible study. I got done and he asked me, he told me, I, I broke my arm. They want to do surgery and uh, they need the swelling to go down so they can do the surgery. And so on a Wednesday night, I prayed for him. I didn't see an angel. I didn't feel nothing, anything. Sorry for the English majors. I didn't feel anything. I didn't see angels. I didn't see dust fall from the ceiling or smoke or fire or nothing. I didn't get all warm in my hand or nothing. I just prayed for him. And then, and then Sunday comes in, and here comes Brother Ezra. And he doesn't have a sling on. He doesn't have a cast on. He doesn't have a scar. He doesn't have stitches. God had healed his arm sitting on that front row on a Wednesday night. Those are the kinds of things that happen in Bethlehem. Amen. We got to pass that tradition on to our young people and our children that we serve a God that is able. Hey, I wish somebody praised God right now. Those are the kinds of works that God does in Israel. Those are the kinds of works that happen in this place. We got to pass it on. Memorials matter. We got to tell. They matter. Oh, go ahead and praise the Lord right now. We're living a legacy of miracles, signs, and wonders. We're living a legacy of Holy Ghost being outpoured, of Holy Ghost revival. We had, there was a young minister's conference in Memphis with, a, with a, an apostolic organization that we haven't fellowshiped with a lot over the years. And, uh, and so I, I registered 13, 14 of our, of our young men and, and some of the, the, uh, their wives, their girls, some of the girls went with them. And 14, 15, I, it's the church that I preached at last Sunday night. And, uh, and all those young folks, and I don't remember, they've they, they been in and out of the office. I know they had a great time at the conference. But one of them told me that somebody came up and asked them, they said, you really got a church like that out in Potts Camp? And, and was that you, Aaron? Some, I don't remember who told me that. It was, and you, what'd you tell him? He said, yeah. We're, did you say we're blessed? Is that what you said? You got to say it all. He said, yeah, we're blessed. I'm going to tell you, yeah, we're blessed. God has been good to us. God has visited us. And we got to tell it. We got to make sure it's not forgotten. We got to make sure it's transferred from one generation to the next generation. There needs to be a transfer. First Kings 19 and 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Elisha passed by him and cast his mantle on him. If you look at Elijah and Elisha, there was a transfer of the mantle. A mantle in the Hebrew, this particular kind of mantle is called an adareth. It's an outer garment that has sleeves. It's sort of like, sort of like a suit jacket. It's an outer garment that has sleeves. Elisha was plowing the field with 12 yoke of oxen. You were wealthy if you had one. He had 12, very wealthy family. When Elijah walked by him, and the Bible said that he cast his mantle upon him. I need somebody that doesn't mind letting me use their suit coat for a minute. Take all your candy and everything. The Bible said that Elijah, Elisha was out plowing and Elijah cast his mantle at him. Since you get, if you didn't get that, I'm going to do it again just because it was fun. And so he cast the mantle at him. When he cast the mantle at him, Elisha knew that's not just any mantle, that's an adoreth. That's a prophet's mantle. 
when he cast his mantle, when Elisha felt that mantle, Elisha knew he was being invited into a ministry. He was, knew he was being invited to share in Elijah's ministry. It wasn't just throwing a piece of cloth at him. It was saying, I'm inviting you to walk the road that I walk, to see what I see, to, deli- to, to, to have what I have. When I cast my mantle at you, it's me saying that I'm inviting you to share in the supernatural power of God that God has put in me. That's an invitation, but you gotta choose the plow or the prophetic. You gotta choose the oxen or the miracles. You got to decide what you want to be known for. Do you want to be a, a, you want to be the good farmer or do you want to be the prophet of God? And so when he cast the mantle at him, it's an invitation that you can come and walk at another level if you want to. You can come and partake if you want to. There's got to be that opportunity. Let me tell our older folks, we need to get with our young people and we need to pray with them. Amen. We need to pray with them. We need to put our mantle on them and let them experience what we got that kept us through our trials and our problems and our difficulties and our sickness and our weakness. Is anybody with me? Amen. Some of our elders, when these young people walk by, just tap them on the shoulder and take them for a minute and say, I want to pray with you. You don't have to make a big production out of it, but we need to cast our mantle at these young people. We can't, we can't complain about their worship if we don't give them a mantle of worship. An outer garment with sleeves. Too many times when people start following the Lord, they don't eradicate their old lives completely. So Elisha, he went back and he slew all 12 oxen. I bet his dad was mad. Oh. But Elisha said, I'm not turning back. I'm not going to leave anything behind me that I can go back to. I'm eradicating my old life completely. Amen. Some people come into the church and they still want to hold on to some of the stuff in the world. If you're really going to get where you need to be with God, you got to eradicate that old lifestyle. you got to get that hidden bottle in the back of your closet and pour it out too. Get that pack in the console between your seats in your truck and throw that pack out the window too. You might as well clean out even the stuff in the back of your closet that you don't think mama knows about because you got to get everything out if you're going to walk with God. You got to eradicate all the, get that garbage out of your music collection. Get that garbage out of your video collection. Get that garbage out of the back of your closet. Get that stuff out of your life. You got to eradicate and not go back. I'm not giving any hope for the devil that I may want to come back and pick it up again. When Israel was leaving Egypt, they would pass through the wilderness. People would notice how they were blessed. They noticed the manna in the morning and the pillar of cloud. By day and the pillar of fire by night, they would walk by nomadic tribes and the nomadic tribes would see how they were led by the power of God and the spirit of God. And these people all around saw how God's people were magnificently and powerfully blessed. And so they began to follow Israel through the wilderness. As Israel would go by, these, these, these various tribes in the wilderness would just get in behind them and walk. And when they would go through... When, when, when all of Israel went by the water coming out of the rock, they'd go by the water and get some water out of the rock too. And when the manna would fall, they'd get up and collect manna in the morning just like the Israelites did. They were called the mixed multitude. They were people that were from the nations around them that were following God's people but were not in covenant with God. Exodus 12, 38 said, And a mixed multitude went up also with them in flocks and herds and very much cattle. The mixed multitude didn't really follow God. They followed the people that followed God. They enjoyed the blessings that came from being, from being associated with God's people. Amen. And in every church, there's people who come along for a while. That get in, they enjoy the blessings of God with the rest of the church. They like the fellowship. They like the feeling. They like the power of God. But they don't really like the doctrine. They don't really like holiness. But Moses didn't run them off and say, get out of here. He just kept walking with God. Someday maybe some of them will sell out and become all, and, 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 be, and become an Israelite. Centuries later in the days of Nehemiah, there was still a mixed multitude. Nehemiah 13 and 3. Now it came to pass. When they had heard the law that they separated from Israel, all the mixed multitude, it was the law that separated between Israel 
and the mixed multitude. And may I tell you that it's the preaching of the law of God that still is the division between people who really want to be apostolic and those who just want to be there for the blessing. I'm not running anybody off. I'm just going to preach the word. I'm going to preach be holy in an unholy generation. And the law will either separate you or bring you in. I'm still going to preach repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. You don't have to do it. You can be with the you can be with the congregation, but the blessing flows through the covenant. And so when Elijah cast his mantle when at Elisha, Elisha knew I've got an opportunity here. And so I'm not going to go back. And then time passes. Elijah gets his mantle and he's wearing it. Now, it's a garment with sleeves, and I'm not even going to pretend to be able to put his garment on. <laughs> All the way. He put the mantle, it was a garment with sleeves. If I flex, this thing ain't got a chance. I'll flex this side. Time passes, and Elijah says, Elisha, stay here. And Elisha says, as the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. If you're going on a trip, I'm going on a trip. So the first place they went was to Bethel. You can never do anything without learning how to be faithful to the house of God. The word Bethel is Hebrew for house of God. Beth is house, El is God. If you're going to have a ministry, you've got to be faithful to the house of God. If you want to do something for God, you've got to be faithful to the house of God. Amen. They went, they went to three different places. They went to Jericho. Jericho is symbolic of the battle. If you're going to win, if you're going to do anything for God, there's going to be battles in life. Everything in life is not going to be easy. The enemy is not going to like you being blessed. There's going to be times of struggle, times of trouble. If you're going to win the battle, you got to go to Jericho. If you're going to do something for God, you got to learn how to go to Bethel, and you got to learn how to go to Jericho. Amen, because you learn how to follow God at the house of God and when you're in a battle. I wish I never had a battle, but I have learned in my life that I get more out of my battles than I do my times of peace. I learned that God is with me even when I'm at my worst, even when I'm at my weakest, when I'm even more afraid than I've ever been. God's with me in my battle. If you're going to do something for God, you got to learn how to go to Bethel and you got to learn how to go to Jericho. But then there was a third stop on the journey, and the third stop was the river. Jordan. The river Jordan is a place of separation. It means the descender. It's a place where you got to go to that separates. It was the Jordan that separated them from the wilderness and the promise. It was the Jordan that separated Naaman the leper from Naaman the healed. It was the Jordan that separated Jesus from the, from the, the, the Jesus pre-ministry. And when he was baptized in the Jordan, he became the, the, the one that went around working miracles. The Jordan was a place of separation. And if you're ever really going to do something for God, you got to learn how to go to Bethel you got to learn how to go to Jericho and you got to learn how to go to Jordan. You got to be faithful to the house of God. You got to go through some struggles and some battles and you got to separate yourself from sin and the world. And so Elisha follows him all the way and Elijah walks up to the Jordan River and he takes his mantle and he smites the water and the water rolls back. And the water rolls back, and they too cross over. There were 50 other people there, 50 prophets who came to view afar off. They wanted to see the show, but they didn't want to be part of it. They wanted to see what was going to happen, but they didn't want to experience it. The Jordan will always separate the pretenders from the prayers. It'll always separate the pretenders from the prophets. The Jordan will always separate those who just want to watch from those who want to do and be and have and experience. And so they too went over. And when they went over, heaven opened. I'm going to tell you, there's some places in separation that when you get there, heaven opens up and you begin to see things you've never seen before. And when Elijah and Elisha got over there, heaven opened and the chariot of Israel came and Elijah was taken up into heaven. And while he was going to heaven, 
The Bible said his mantle fell from him. The word fell means to fall. But it also means to cast away. My question is, if it is a, an adoreth, a mantle with sleeves, unless God picked him up by the ankles, How did it come off? He took it off. He said, I can't go and not pass something on to the next generation. If I'm going to go, i got to pass on what i got. Because it's not fair to me to be buried with all the stuff that God's done and me not pass it on to the next generation. And so the Bible said he took it and he cast it. And when Elisha caught it, he went back to the same place that Elijah was at and he smoked the waters himself and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? If you did it for him, do it for me. If you did it for them, do it again, God. I've come to tell these young people, you ought to expect miracles. You ought to expect signs and wonders. Expect to have revival. The same God that did it for J. Frank Wilson, who's laying out in that cemetery, is the same God that'll do it for you. The same God that did it, the same God that did it for Mer Verla May Stanton, the same God that did it for James Williams, the same God that did it for Ezra Butler, will do it for you. But you gotta catch the mantle. So there's two things that have to happen. I'm I'm coming to a close. There's two things that have to happen. There has to be an older generation willing to pass it on. And there's got to be a younger generation willing to catch it. Passing it on does no good if nobody's there to catch it. You weren't supposed to catch it. Rewind, edit. It does no good if there's no one there to catch it. And it does no good for there to be somebody willing to catch it. And an older generation just hold on to it and say, no, that's mine. You can't have it. You can't have it. No, this is all about me. It's not about you. You wait and get your own mantle. Go kill your own animal and slay, and slay it yourself and sow it yourself. No, no, no. He said, I'm not going to leave with what I got. I'm going to pass it on. I'm telling you, this young man's going to do great things for God. He walks in the Holy Ghost. He prays and seeks God. Amen. Thank God he caught a mantle from somebody. Amen. I'm looking at a generation of older folks that I believe you want our young people to have a great revival. I believe you want to see them do great things. And I'm looking at young people that say, we want everything you've got, older folks. Stand with me. I'm closing telling you memorials matter memorials matter there's a sad portion of scripture concerning the life of Saul and Samuel Samuel the great prophet of God dedicated as a baby taken to the temple raised in the house of God Samuel gets old and he dies Saul the man he had anointed to be king walks away from God Saul ends up in witchcraft and all kinds of sin, full of bitterness and hatred. We hear something very striking about Samuel's appearance because Saul went to the witch of Endor. Saul couldn't get an answer. He couldn't touch God because Saul had fallen so far from God. So he goes to a witch and he asks the witch, I need to talk to Samuel. So the witch conjures up the spirit of Samuel. And when, he, when Saul sees Samuel, Here's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 28, 14. And he said unto her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up. And he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. Here's the sad thing about the life of Samuel and Saul. Is that Samuel... In the grave, in eternity, is covered with his mantle. There's been no transfer of anointing from Samuel to Saul. 
I don't know if Samuel didn't give it or Saul just didn't live enough to take it. But the sad thing is, was an old man died with his mantle. And it shouldn't have had to be that way. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, elders and young folks and everyone in between, we need to make sure that there are some memorials still in place in the church so that future generations will remember what God has done for us. We need Memorial Days to remind us about how good God has been. Jesus made sure there was a memorial that would be that would transfer from one generation to the next the power of the cross and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I, I, I'm excited to see all these young folks that have come around the altar. I didn't ask them to. I remember when we were young folks together. We used to preach revivals at the church they went to. We went fishing one time, caught a fish, forgot in the cooler two weeks later. It was bad stuff. I don't know if I ever preached another revival at that church or not. I can't remember. Something fishy about it. I want to tell you young people something. I appreciate you. Sister Evagene, I'm so... You look at the prettiest young lady in the house right now. She got a birthday. Was it this week? Was your birthday this week? 82 years old, Wednesday. Don't tell me you can't still worship. Evagina, I like to see it when you get it going. I like it when the Holy Ghost falls on you. And you still love to worship God. I'm telling you, there's got to be a transfer. There's got to be a transfer. Amen. Uh, Sister Evangeline, why don't you lay your hands on some of these girls and just pray that they love worship like you do. That's right. Do we have any elders that want to come up and just pray with some of these young folks and say, God, I pray that you help us to pass on to this next generation. Memorials matter. They make a difference. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. These young folks want you to pray for them. Oh, God. Oh, yes, Jesus. That's right. These young folks want you to pray for them. They came to the altar. They weren't invited. They came because the Holy Ghost drew them up here. Oh, I want to pass on something. I want to pass on something real and rich and powerful and glorious. Something that the world has devalued. But I know, I know, I know it's real. That's right. Work your way around here. Pray. Lay hands on several of these young folks. Without these elders, we have no heritage. And without these young people, we have no future. It's critical. It's a critical transfer. Oh, God, teach us. Teach us to value worship, to value prayer, to value holiness, to value faithfulness, to value investing in the kingdom. Oh, God, memorials matter. Amen. I wish one of you young, I wish one of you teenage boys would go over to Brother John Allen, let him lay those big hands on you and pray for you. He hurts every step he takes. His leg, his back hurts every step he takes. But he comes to the house of God. Lord, let, let that faithfulness, let that faithfulness get in these boys. 
Let that faithfulness get in these boys. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's right. Pray one for another all over this house. We're not going to do anything else. This is what we're doing. God, let this be a memorial for somebody. God, let this be a memorial for someone because memorials matter. This is the night I made up my mind no matter what, I'm living for God. No matter what happens, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to do something. I'm reaching for God. I'm going to do something that matters with people that matter. lay your hands on several of these girls and pray that that anointing of prayer that you've carried all these years very often the first one in the prayer room oh thank you Jesus that's right Sister Bonnie lay your hands on some of these young folks she served for years in the church God I pray that that anointing for service I'm not, I, I just happened to glance at these folks. I'm not just singling them out above anybody else. I want everybody to lay hands on people and pray. Sister Gail, how many funerals you reckon you've cooked for over the years? How many hurting families you think you've fed over the years that you've been around here? A whole lot. I wish you'd just lay your hands on some of these girls, that they would get that same love to be there for people when they hurt. Sunday school teachers, you ought to lay your hands on other young people and younger folks and pray that that same desire that you have would get a hold of their hearts. Greeters and ushers and everybody that serves. There's a critical transfer that has to happen in generations. Some of you young folks ought to seek some of these elders out and say, look, just pray for me. Just pray for me. Pray. Pray that I can make it. Pray that I can be strong. Oh, thank you, Jesus.
Amen to this great preacher. Hallelujah. I'm glad we had warriors that walked and taught and preached before us. Warriors in truth that were willing to give down that mantle to us. And it's our responsibility to give it to our youth and them to the next generation. Amen, amen. What a word. Let's go before the Lord and dismiss. Oh God, we love you. We thank you for your many blessings, God. Thank you for this word, God, for the reminder, Lord Jesus, of who we are and where we've come from, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you bless these precious people. I pray, God, that you would help them to take it to heart, God, that they would use it for their their future, God, that they would grow stronger in you, Lord. And I pray that you watch over us as we go our separate ways. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.